Hattie and I are laughing at each other because I, uh, she came up with the idea to play Jesus Loves the Little Children during the offering, and I said, let's go with a different song. And then as I came in this morning, I realized, wait, we're talking about children. That's a perfect song to play during the offering. And so thank you for doing that on the spur of the moment. And uh, I'm glad to know that the piano lessons worked out really well. So we continue talking about the kingdom of God and his great reign and how he does this through people like us. And oftentimes we think that this kingdom is something elaborate, and and frankly it probably is, yet it's not so elaborate that he doesn't want to work in and through our lives. And this morning, as you've already heard now a few times, we're talking about having childlike faith, and and that's that's what Jesus Christ addresses here in Mark chapter 10, and we'll get to that in just a few moments. But what we know to be true of children is this, is that sometimes they make amazing observations in life, and it's rather humorous, and it's rather funny. And so I thought I'd share some little interactions between parents and children and, and uh, to help set the stage for what we're talking about today. A four-year-old son came up to his mom, and he said, can we get a kitten? The mom responds with this, I'm allergic. We can't be in the same house. Her son looks at her and says, well, you could live outside. <laughs> that kid's got a lot of, <laughs> that's, that's a tough response there. Then another parent shares this story. When, when his child came home from school on the bus, he paused the conference call that he was on to ask her how her day was. She responded, shh, go back to work. I have a list of things I want you to buy me with all the money you're making today. And then lastly is this, uh, this family was having a family meeting and they concluded that they would no longer say shut up because they found uh, the parents shared with their children that, that, uh, that, that phrase, can, it sounds mean it can, and it can hurt people's feelings. So their children were getting creative with their use of words and one day my, their nine-year-old daughter was talking and talking. She would not be quiet and finally their six-year-old son couldn't take it anymore and said, silence, you peasant. <laughs> so, so there you have it. Children, children can say some remarkable things. They can say so many different things, and it's true that they say these things, and they they don't realize how funny they are, and we find them incredibly funny. And when we talk to children, oftentimes, one of the questions that we ask them is this, what would you like to be when you grow up? And we hear a variety of responses. Some will say a fireman, a doctor, a policeman, a, a teacher, the president, whatever. The list is long. We smile, we nod, we acknowledge what they're saying, and and then we tell them that they can do anything that they set their mind to. Yet, what strikes me as I was thinking about the message for this week was that question, what do you want to be when you grow up, is a great question, yet when it comes to the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ takes that question and seems to flip it on its head. Because what he seems to be saying is this, is what do you want to be when the kingdom of God becomes a reality in your life? His answer is surprising. His answer is found in Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 13, and I invite you to look there now with me. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples 
rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at your word, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would help us understand more fully what it means to be childlike in our faith. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we could see, open our ears that we can hear, open our minds that we can understand this profound truth of being like children, and that you would open our heart and transform those hearts to being childlike in their receptivity to your kingdom's work in our lives. So Lord, we lift this to you. We pray that no one would hear anything that I say, but that they would only hear what it is that you want them to hear, that you need them to hear. And we pray that all of this would be done for your glory and that you alone would receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, we continued looking at this diagram that we've been laying out over the course of this series, and and I bring back uh, this one slide again just to remind you of where we are. We're in these in-between times, these in-between times that where we see Jesus do great work and, and we see that happen, and yet there's still things that aren't quite right. And this little story here, this encounter, and we see that very clearly here in verse 13, people were bringing their children to the, uh, to the apostles to see Jesus, and they rebuke them. And back to that diagram, you see what's going on here. We want so much for Jesus Christ to invade this fully, yet that time will come eventually when he returns and establishes everything, and it's, and it's perfect But in these days, in these in-between times where Jesus Christ is doing work, he still has us to deal with. He still has these apostles who, these disciples and and those and you and I to deal with, and and sometimes we mess it up. Sometimes we make mistakes. And so so we're in these in-between times where we see glimpses of Jesus Christ doing great things, yet at the same time, there's ugliness that goes on because we're broken, we're fallen, and we have this ongoing tension. And this story illustrates that so very well to us. And for the disciples, for the disciples, this is not the best moment for them. It just isn't. Look at what they do here. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples, and notice the next word, the disciples rebuked them. Doesn't say that they shushed them or moved them away. It says that they rebuked them. I invite you to show me in the Gospels where Jesus Christ said, I really don't want to have anything to do with you. I invite you to do that. Not one time does Jesus Christ reject anyone. Not one time. Yet the disciples take it upon themselves to somewhat function as secret service agents and say, hey, you keep your distance. We have the inside track here. We know what we're doing. You keep your distance. 
But yet, it seems to me that they've forgotten so many different phrases and so many different things that Jesus Christ has done in his life. Some of the words that he said were this, let us go to the nearby villages. Talking about villages. So I can preach there also, and that is why I have come. He says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this in the 11th chapter of Matthew, he says this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. All who are weary and burdened, he doesn't, he doesn't say some of them. He says, all of them, all who are weary and burdened. And by the way, in in my life, one of the things I've noticed is this. Parents of young children are some of the most weary, burdened people I've ever been around. They're exhausted. It's exhausted. I love children. Don't get me wrong. But I'm thankful mine are all grown now. I don't have the energy. I respect all of you young families, and, 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 and I, see, I see you come in, and, and I say, you know, how's your day going? And I, I don't need an answer. You're just looking at me with half-open eyes. It's difficult. It's difficult. It's burdensome at times. You feel wiped out. And so these parents are coming up to Jesus, trying to bring, trying to bring their kids to... Uh, bring their children to Jesus, to have them lay their hands on them, and the disciples rebuke them. They rebuke them, and, and, I, and it, what hit me was this, was perhaps the apostles, perhaps the disciples, thought they were doing Jesus a favor. You know, Jesus, we, got, we know you have a lot going on. We want to make sure that you can get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. We're about efficiency here, and these people want to bother you. And so we've determined that they need not bother you. So we'll just simply rebuke them. Thinking that in the, in, the, in the big picture of things, that they're actually doing Jesus a favor. And I, wanna, I want us to reflect on this right now. Are there not moments in our lives when we think we're doing Jesus a favor by keeping people away from Jesus. We classify people by appearance and make no effort to get to know them. Or perhaps we give people a list of rules that they must abide by or Jesus won't want to have anything to do with them. You see, when we do things like that, in essence, we might not be verbally rebuking someone, but our actions and what's going on in our lives is a rebuke, and it's preventing people from getting to Jesus Christ. We think we know who's worthy of receiving the grace of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we work our way in life, and we sit there, and we'll do this, or we'll do that, and we'll keep other people away from him. And we think that it's making Jesus' job easier. But the reality is this, is oftentimes doing Jesus a favor, actually all the time doing Jesus Jesus a favor isn't very favorable at all. His kingdom always has the best interests for all of humanity, not some of humanity. And we see that in Jesus' response. Verse 14. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. 
He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You can almost see the disciples look at Jesus and and as they rebuke these parents, you can almost see them have a smile on their face saying, see, we're helping you out. We're helping make this a lot easier. But the look that they receive from Jesus prompts what I call a big oh no moment for the apostles. You know that look. We've all been there with our parents before. My mom is five foot one. I was taller than her by junior high, but yet my mom had a look that could devastate me and make me feel about two feet tall. Her look was not as bad as my dad's look, and that's a whole different sermon some other time. But my mom had this way about her, and I knew when the oh no was about to happen. All of us have been there. And for the disciples, the oh no is about to happen for them. They rebuked these parents. And Jesus, verse 14, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Anytime, anything that goes against God's kingdom, it always receives a response. Jesus Christ came for all of humanity. Jesus Christ came for all of creation. He came to rescue. And anything that thwarts that, it will receive a response. It's impossible for it not to. It's part of the reason why he was so upset with the Pharisees. Because they were resistant to what God was trying to do. But here's what makes this encounter so powerful. The disciples went against God's kingdom, his reign. And Jesus' response is one of indignation. You can, I invite you to underline this verse for this reason. This is the only place in the Gospels where we are told that Jesus is indignant. The only place. Now consider the following. Jesus Christ was accused by the Pharisees of being demon-possessed, yet he did not get indignant. Jesus Christ was accused of his own family as being insane, yet he did not get indignant. Jesus Christ was mocked by the Roman guards, yet he did not become indignant. While Jesus Christ is hanging on a cross, a criminal next to him on the cross next to him is mocking him, making fun of him, doing all types of insults and things like this, yet Jesus Christ did not become indignant. Now, in all four of those instances that I just gave you, it makes a whole lot of sense that Jesus could very well become indignant, and we would say, you should be indignant. But not a one of those, and there are others that we could have listed, but not not the, the only one, this is where I'm coming, the only one is when the disciples rebuke the parents. That's the only time we're told he was indignant. This is a big deal. 
It's a big deal. Because Jesus Christ came to bring life to everybody. But yet these disciples thought these children were so insignificant. And that's what the world was telling them, by the way. The culture was telling them how insignificant children were. Unlike today where we have children's television shows, we have children's happy meals, we have children's books, we have companies that are completely geared for children. Unlike today, in Jesus' day, children were primarily seen as another mouth to feed, a financial burden. And when you hear what I'm about to say, you can almost understand why children were considered insignificant. It was overly difficult for families to get excited about children when there was a 40% chance that their child wouldn't even make it to be a five-year-old. You see, the entire culture of that time said children aren't something to be excited about because until they get to five, we don't know if they're going to be around or not. And so that type of a mindset sinks in to the apostles, sinks in to the, to, the, uh, to the disciples, and they rebuke these people, and Jesus looks at them, and, and, he, and he is indignant. God's kingdom, his reign, gives all people significance. Let me say that again. God's kingdom, his reign, gives every person significance. There is not one insignificant person that you've ever met in your life. Not one. Our world may very well say they're insignificant, but because of Jesus Christ and because of his reign in our lives, they are not insignificant. Not one. Not the person sitting on the corner holding up a sign saying that they're homeless and they need food. That person's not insignificant. Not the parents of that screaming child that you wish they would get a handle on and, and be able to get that child quieted. Nobody lacks significance when you believe that God is reigning in your life. This church supports a number of missionaries through our financial gifts, prayers, and encouragement. And we have what is called, what I call at least, the missionary wall. And it's along this wall outside here as you go out those doors. And each one of these people and organizations that we support in ways that we understand and in ways that are very creative they bring significance to people who very well don't feel all that significant. And one of those organizations is Rainbow Acres. And Stephen Robley is the director there, and, and uh, he and I talk periodically. And, and one of the things that I told Steve was this, and their, their motto is this, or their vision is this, to provide a promising future for adults with developmental disabilities. In one of my last conversations I had with Steve, I said, one of the things I love about your organization is this, is that you remember the insignificant. You remember the ignored. You honor the ignored. 
Because adults with developmental disabilities, oftentimes we want to simply say and put them over here, but yet Rainbow Acres exists because the kingdom of God is part of, is, is doing what, what, what needs to be done to give those folks significance. If God reigns in your life, every single person has significance. And they need to know that. And right now, right now, in the world in which we live, it is paramount that we as Christ followers live this out. Study after study after study is showing the following, that people are lonelier now than they've ever been. We're connected via social media. We have all this going on here or there. We're, we think that we, have, we, can, we can talk to somebody halfway around the globe on our computers, all this kind of stuff. But all these studies are saying loneliness is at an epidemic level. And I believe this to be true. They're lonely because they've fallen prey to buying the lies that this world says makes them significant. As Christ followers, as Christ followers, we can simply say, we're here for you. Jesus Christ is here for you. We love you. We care for you. Because in God's kingdom, no one is insignificant. Not a one. As a matter of fact, loneliness has become such an issue in the UK that they recently hired, and get this, they recently appointed a government official with the title of Minister of Loneliness. The job description of this person is to find ways to connect people to one another. Jesus Christ reaches into this situation where these children are looked at as insignificant and he says, not on my watch. Not with my kingdom. My kingdom means that those children matter. And not only does Jesus acknowledge these children, but he then takes it to another level with the disciples when he says this, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Imagine the look on their faces. They thought they were doing Jesus a favor just a few moments prior, and now Jesus Christ is saying, listen, you want to enter my reign, you want my reign to be received, you want, it, you want to experience this, you need to be like a child. And notice he says, like a child, not childish. We have a battle going on here where there's this like versus ish. And we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. And why would he say that they need to be like a child? You cannot receive the kingdom of God unless you become like a child. It's, the main reason is this, is that children are completely dependent. Some of your children are incredibly gifted. Don't get me wrong. But I will say this. You withdraw your support of your child, your child's in a whole lot of trouble. 
we know that to be true. Children are incredibly dependent. And what you'll find interesting about Mark placing this story here is this, as, he's ta- as Jesus Christ is talking about his kingdom, the next story goes directly against this. Listen to these words, and if you have your Bible open, to look at what happens at verse 17. So Mark places this next story right next to this, and I think it's essential. It says this, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Verse 22, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. All of these I have kept since I was a little boy. This guy thought it was all about him. He thought that he could receive God's kingdom because of all that he had done, all that he was, and all that he accumulated throughout the course of his life. And he says, what must, and notice the next line, I do to inherit eternal life. And here Jesus is back just a few verses prior. He's saying, you need to be like a child, completely dependent. It's not about you. It's about me. It's about receiving my kingdom. This rich man walks away sad because he couldn't bring himself to a place of dependence on Jesus Christ. So let's talk through this, shall we? Let's talk about the difference between being childlike and childish because I think some of the stuff that I'm about to say might strike a little close to home for all of us. So he says, like a child, not childish. So I came up with this list, and it'll come up there point by point here. But, but part of being childlike means that there is an attitude of learning. Children love to learn. They love to learn, they, they, whether, it be, whether it be learning to walk or read or dancing or sports or, or, or math, whatever the case may be, they love to learn. Of course, some of your parents are going, well, come over to our house during homework time and let's talk. But they love to learn. They're designed to learn. They want to learn. Being childish is thinking that you're a know-it-all, that you have everything figured out, that you don't need anything else, that you've got it all figured out. And there is nothing more difficult or more, more painful to watch in life than, than being around a child that thinks that they know it all because you know this, it's going to come down on them really hard. So I ask you this. Are you learning, or do you think you have the Lord all figured out and there's nothing more to learn? Second thing is this. Being childlike means being flexible when things don't go your way. Being flexible. And I'm not just talking about being able to bend over and touch your your toes. 
talking about being flexible. Life is going to come at you. Life is going to make you have to move here or there. It's going, you're going to have to be flexible. Children can be flexible. They can be child. I mean, they're, they're childlike. Yeah, John, we know that. That's what you're talking about. But, but the point is being flexible or being childish. And being childish means this, that you spend your time whining about how you didn't get your way. When things don't go your way, are you flexible? Saying, God, what do you got going on here? I'm more than happy to, to, to flex my, my desires here to get in line with you. Or do you find yourself whining about your plight? Being childlike involves being creative with all that is around you. Enjoying the beauty of God's creation and how he wants, you, wants to use you to be an expression of his creativity when life seems to go a different way. I always marvel at children that get gifts in these big boxes and, and the parents are all excited about what's in the box. What's the child excited about? The box. They make a fort out of it. They use their creativity. They do all these different things. And the child's going, we just spent $150 when we could have just spent, gone to UPS, bought one empty box, and they would have been happier than happy. Being childlike means being creative. Being childish means complaining of boredom because you expect everything to serve your entertainment needs. Do you find yourself enjoying God's creativity and his creation, or do you find yourself complaining about being bored? Being childlike means being helpful no matter what the situation is. My mom would always struggle to grasp how my sister and I could go to our next-door neighbor's house and help with all types of chores and cleaning our friends' rooms and things like that, but when it came to helping out around the house, next to impossible. Being helpful, being helpful. But being childish means this, being hurtful towards those who ask for your help by not lifting a finger. It occurs to me that in all my years of ministry that the people who help alongside the ministry don't have time to be hurtful because they're, they're, they're consumed with serving. They're, they're concerned with helping others. Yet those who have inflicted some of the deepest hurtful things I've ever heard are those who never serve at all. And so I ask you this question, do you find yourself being helpful with the different tasks that God has called you to do in this church or wherever, or do you find yourself being hurtful with comments as you sit on the sidelines? Being childlike means having an attitude of gratefulness. Being grateful for all that is given to you. Being childish means being entitled, thinking that you are owed something from everyone in this world. Do you find yourself grateful when different things come your way? Or do you find yourself thinking that people owe you something? Jesus Christ says that the kingdom of God comes to those who will receive it like a child. 
And so my encouragement to all of us is to receive God's kingdom, his reign, as a gift in our lives and to live that out, making sure that people understand who he is and making sure that they realize that they are no longer insignificant. You see, Jesus Christ, when he gets involved, he, he takes these less than people and these children in his day. He, he takes the less than and he makes them more than. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and listen to this. We'll get there in just a few moments. But in the world's eyes, children were always less than. They were less than important. And Jesus Christ flips this. As a matter of fact, earlier in, in, in Mark's gospel, he says this, the little ones... Anyone who harms these little ones, and then there's this little parenthetical comment where he says, those who place their trust in me, the little ones, if you placed your trust in him, you are a child. God's kingdom moves people from being less thans to becoming more thans. We read these these verses in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Did you get that? As a child of God, right now, Jesus Christ is interceding for you. Right now. No matter what's going on in your life, Jesus Christ is interceding for you. When the reign of God comes into your life, all of a sudden things open up. All of a sudden you realize there's more going on here. I don't have to live this way anymore. He says he's at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And some of the most powerful words that Paul ever wrote are right here. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ takes the less thans and he makes them more thans. His kingdom, his reign reaches in to the insignificance and says, you are my child. When you say yes to his reign, when you receive his reign, when you receive his kingdom like a child, everything changes. You can no longer look at anybody the same way because his kingdom, his reign, makes all the difference in the world. 
It's a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. It's a kingdom that says you are significant because I love you, I care for you, I died for you, and I rose from the dead. So I ask you this morning, have you received the kingdom of God like a child? And will you live your life like a child? Not childish. We've got enough of that. We need childlike faith followers that say the reign of God is moving in my life and I'm changed. Father, we pray as we contemplate these words, we would ask that you would grow us as childlike people. Lord, we confess that oftentimes we've acted and conducted ourselves in childish ways. And Lord, on behalf of all of us, I say have mercy on us. Father, forgive us for those times when we've thought that we're doing you a favor by disregarding people around us. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move in such a way that we would grow in understanding of what it means to be childlike. That we would learn more about you, that we'd be eternally grateful to you. That we would be flexible, that we'd be creative, that we'd be helpful, that we would be the people that you want us to be, that we would be like children and receive your kingdom, not because we have anything to give, but because we're nothing without you. And we desperately need you. So Father, move in our midst. Move in our midst and remind us that you take the less than and you make us more than, all because of Jesus Christ. We love you. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. We come now to this time that we celebrate every first Sunday of the month, communion, where we remember what Jesus Christ did for us and how he came, lived, and he died, and he rose from the dead. And as we prepare ourselves for this time. The children are going to come in here in just a few moments. And, and there's all this, I know that there's going to be some shuffling around and things like that. But one of the things that I want to remind us of is this, is that this time is a time of remembrance as well as celebration. We remember what Jesus Christ did for us, that he came, he lived, he died, and he rose. We remember that. And, and with that comes some times of, of evaluation, some times of saying, wow, my life is, is a mess. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ and what he did to rescue me. And that's why it's a celebration. It's a celebration because we remember what he did and we celebrate what he continues doing today. 
And so we invite those who've said yes to Jesus Christ and, and placed their trust in him to take of these elements and, and, and remember what he did and, and celebrate what he did. And for those of you that, that have never made that proclamation, we, we invite you to evaluate what's going on in your life right now. And we would invite you to, to say yes to Jesus Christ. And if you say yes to Christ, then please participate with us. But if today's the day that that you haven't said yes to Christ. By that I mean your life, you haven't placed your trust in him. Reflect and consider what Jesus Christ has done and let those elements go by. So I'm gonna ask the elders to come up and the children are gonna come in now and, and as before we share these elements, we're gonna sing the doxology a couple times to prepare our hearts for this.